This is the Baymall Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we discuss the letter of 1 John and his insistence on the role that love plays in truth and not the other way around. Yep. We've mentioned before, it's time to look, go back to John. We haven't talked about John for a little while. We're going to do a lot of John here at the end of session four. We've got a lot of John to talk about. Comes back with a vengeance. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> Uh, Revelation jokes. Finishes strong. There you go. Uh, First John, let's see here. We've mentioned before John uh, moved where, Brent? To biblical... Asia Minor. Asia and Asia Minor, yeah. Pastor to Asia. Ephesus. Yeah, absolutely. Mostly, until he was banished. Yep. Well, and then even then, seemed to be, we we think he even died in that same region, if not even Ephesus itself. Oh, yeah. Patmos being just off the coast there. Patmos, that's what I'm talking about. Yep. But uh, we'll get to that maybe a little bit later. Exiled, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, exiled. exiled to Patmos. There you go. Yes. A prisoner, if you will. But yes, John was known as the pastor to Asia. John was an expert, as we've already seen in his gospel. That'd be way back in session three, when we talked about John's gospel. And I do. I know there's a huge debate about whether or not John wrote all these. I'm of the opinion he did. I think John wrote the Gospel of John. I think the same John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And I think John wrote Revelation. That's not a popular scholastic opinion, but it's one that I take. So there you go. But uh, we have already seen. And one of the reasons I think that, Brent, I can't even finish this sentence without getting pulled off on a bunch of tangents. (laughs) That's what what the listeners are here for. So let's... (laughs) tangentially there you go. move forward. Uh, well, the thing that, the, one of the reasons I think that is I see the same themes and there's a, there's a big scholarly conversation about whether or not there's a, um, uh, a school, kind of like the school of John, Yohonian school. I'm never quite sure how they say that. They say Yohonian literature, Yohonian, Yohonian, Yohanan. That's how you say John in Hebrew, Yohonian school. Anyway, some people have thought like there's a school where like people were trained under a similar thought pattern, similar methods to what John used. Eh, I mean, I get it, but there there's some really similar trends, a similar heart. And it could be a school of people that's all been taught to think a certain way. I just don't, I don't like to read it that way. I think it's the same, I think it's the same guy, same author we have here. But we've seen that he's uh, an expert in talking to the audience of Asia and Asia Minor in ways that Matthew, Mark, Luke, they just weren't. Um, We have record in the writings of Polycarp, who happened to be John's disciple, by the way. Polycarp was an ancient kind of a church father, father of the faith, John's disciple. Is he coming back in session five? Do we talk about him at all? I believe we will spend maybe a little bit of time there. Yeah, absolutely. Not Not a ton. We will end up recommending a ton of writings if you want to read up on Polycarp, but that'll be session five. But yeah, we have, in his writings, we have a record that the churches in Asia are using this letter, 1 John, which is being circulated among the churches in that region. It could be said that this letter is written uh, in order to combat um, a Gnostic heresy. What book did we look at? Gnostic heresy, Brent. Colossians. Colossians. Excellent. Same, same idea that we studied in the book Colossians. Um, there was a Gnostic heresy, a Gnostic way of thought known as docetism. Ooh, we should link that. Put that in the show notes, Brent Billings. Find a Wikipedia article on docetism. D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. Docetism. A belief that argued against the humanity of Jesus and claimed he never really came in the flesh. Like he was here. He was Jesus. But he was always like of a more spiritual divine nature, not really flesh nature. 
There are many statements in John's first letter that would make sense if he's arguing for a very physical incarnation, if that is like a very intentional argument he's trying to make. Um, there are a lot of statements that talk about this physical nature of this Jesus who took on flesh. Nevertheless, my favorite part of the letter, First uh, John, is his insistence on loving each other. In First, Second, and Third John, One of the themes that we're going to see running through these letters is the themes of love and truth, or maybe we could just say the theme of love and truth and how these two things end up related to each other. Love and truth and love and truth and truth and love. And all these letters, John's going to talk about love and truth. It's never stronger than it's going to be here in 1 John. The letter starts with what sounds like Essene teaching, if I do say so myself, which would make sense if this is literally written by John. John would have been most closely tied this isn't John the Baptist, this is John the Apostle, but John would have been most closely tied to maybe those teachings of the Essenes through Jesus and potentially John the Baptist. He would have known all this. We, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found references to the teachings of the Essenes. They love to talk about sons of light and sons of darkness. Sons of light and sons of darkness. It's all over in the Essene theology. To walk in obedience to God's path and God's way was to walk in the light, to be a son of light. To oppose God's way was to be a son of darkness. We previously explored uh, the strong connections to the Essenes that Jesus may have had. It's all the way back in session three. It's hard to miss the possibility that still sits here in front of us here in session four with 1 John. Go ahead and read us. uh, What what passage do you have first there for us, Brett? Uh, Verses five through seven of the first chapter. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I mean, if you... uh... If you were to take the Jesus piece of that paragraph away, that almost comes like it sounds like it could have been lifted right out of a an Essene writing from the Dead Sea Scrolls. Like just pure, that feels very Essene to me. Um, the letter goes on to speak about how one can, Essenes would have said this as well too, how one can discern between people who walk in the light and those who do not walk in the light. How do you discern between those in the light and those in darkness? And And then the statement, whoever claims to follow Jesus would live the life would live life the way that Jesus lived life. Whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus. Ray used to always say that statement when we were studying in Israel and Turkey. Ray would just repeat this like a mantra over and over and over again. Whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus walked. Whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus walked. Whoever claims to follow Jesus would live life the way that Jesus lived life. This would make sense if we remember studying uh, all the way back, if we remembered what it meant to be a rabbi. And can you remember, uh, tell me, Brent, what did it mean to be a disciple and to remind us, go back to session three here for us. Tell us about rabbis and disciples. Uh, The idea is for the disciple to do what the rabbi does in the way the rabbi does them and become exactly like the rabbi in every possible way. Absolutely. Just true imitation. On some level, a mimicry. It goes beyond just mimicry, but there's a mimicry. Uh, involved there in the in the way that John the Baptist, like people come out, like, wait a minute, are you are you Elijah? Correct, right. He's definitely mimicking the character that he seems to say drives his theology. Absolutely. Um, so go ahead and uh, what do we got next? What passage we got next? Uh, jumping down to chapter two in verse three. 
We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. All right, so there's that rabbinical idea. This entire com- this entire conversation raises a question uh, of John. How did Jesus walk? And what is the defining characteristic of being true to the way of Jesus? If Jesus, if, if, if the job is to walk as Jesus walked, to live as Jesus lived, then we would have to know, like, what was, what's the central tenet? How did Jesus walk and how did he live? Go ahead and give us the next little passage here. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. All right, there's this idea of light again being tied. John seems to be very clear on the issue of what it means to be a son of light. To walk in the way of God, as seen in the life and teachings of Jesus is to be a person who loves. If you do not love, you do not walk in the light. I'm going to say that again. If you do not love, you do not walk in the light. If you do not love, you do not walk in the light. As if this couldn't be more clear, John won't let this idea go. The entire third chapter of 1 John revolves around this argument. We continue to see this argument all the way into the fourth chapter. Give us a passage out of the fourth chapter. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. One of my favorite little paragraphs in the New Testament. Whoever claims to love God yet hates brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Kind of wishy-washy language, really. (laughs) Sure. No, it's like super direct, right? Like, isn't that so, such a straightforward, and, and really, if we just sat on that statement here for just a second and let it do its work, like, You cannot say you love God. I'm just learning how to love people. It doesn't work that way. If you don't love people, you don't love God. Like John says this about seven different ways in this letter, and he doesn't make it ambiguous. He doesn't make it fuzzy. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. If we can't love the people that we can see and have a physical relationship with, there's no way we can say we love God whom we don't see in the same physical way. It has been often been said in the world, I minister in as a church leader, I hear this all the time, that we have, to main, we have to maintain a balance. I hear this all the time, Brent. We have to maintain a balance between love and truth. We have to be, we have to be loving, but we can't give up on truth. I, I hear this all the time. It's got to be both. It's got to be both, Marty. It's got to be love, and it's got to be truth. It's got to be truth, and it's got to be love. 
John, I believe, would suggest we have that conversation entirely backwards. And I'm going to slow this down because sometimes when I teach this, it gets all twisted around and people either get confused or they really don't like what I'm saying. So I'm going to try to save us some email. If you are not loving, I'm going to slow this down. If you are not loving, then what you have is not true. Period. If you're not loving, then what you have is not true. It's not truth. If it's not love, it is not truth. Period, according to John. Love is what makes it true. Not the factual, abstract truth of the thing that makes it true. There's some kind of relationship between love and truth where if you are not loving, it's not true. In a world that wants to demand we hold to truth... In order to show the world what God is like, we simply need to read more of Genesis. Uh, Genesis, listen to me. We simply need to read more of chapter 4. Go ahead and give us some more chapter 4 here, Brent. I mean, we probably do need to read more Genesis. but <laughs> That's true. So true. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And I have a belief that this idea runs one direction. Like Again, I I started this a few statements ago. Like I always hear this idea, we have to have a balance. We have to have a balance between love and truth. And what John says is that if it doesn't have love, it's not what, Brent? It's not true. It's not truth. And I know so many uh, uh, evangelical teachers and friends and whatever, uh, we we would always, we'd be quick to add, like we're always quick to add, especially from the pulpit. But of course, the opposite is true too. You know, if, if it's not true, then it's certainly not loving. And I don't know if that's a great logical deduction. I'm not necessarily saying that's not true. What I am saying is that the Bible never says that. You won't find that verse anywhere. You you can point to all these verses and tell me how you exegeted that and it's a logical deduction from what the I'm fine with that. My point here is the Bible does say some very direct things about truth and love, and it only goes one direction. And the direction the Bible keeps trying to insist on is that if we don't have love, then no matter what it is that we're doing, it can't be true. It cannot be true. It doesn't matter how true, quote unquote, it is. It's not truth if it's not. If it lacks love, then it's no longer true, no matter how. And I think we did this back in session three. Didn't we do this with Jesus and his teaching about good fruit, Brent, on bad trees and bad trees on, and, and bad fruit? And, and we talked about this concept of um, Jesus said... Uh, you, you you can't get bad fruit from a good tree and you can't get good fruit from a bad tree. And it seemed to be not just about orthodoxy, but it was about orthopraxy. We talked about back in session three. Is this ringing any bells to you? Yes. I'm not completely sure which episode or episodes. Yeah. I can't remember if it was Sermon on the Mount or where it was. But yeah, there's this, there's this conversation where Jesus was like, it, it doesn't matter if you believe in orthodoxy. If your orthopraxy is wrong... Jesus said, your orthodoxy is wrong. And, and we talked about how in the Western world that rubs us so like that, that's not right. Like we can't get behind that. But that's what Jesus says. That's what Paul says. And now it's what John says. 
like love seems to be the big guiding driving idea. And we see it all the time. I mean, Paul says the whole law hangs on this commandment to love one another. Jesus said, uh, everything is, uh, the whole law hinges on love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Like everybody keeps talking about love. And we, for some reason, have to keep qualifying love with truth. And and I like to just pause here at First John and say, the Bible does the opposite. The Bible keeps qualifying our truth with love. We feel this obligation to qualify all of our love with truth. And, and God doesn't need any more cosmic policemen. Like God doesn't need any more people like standing up trying to protect him. Like God's got that. Um, we don't have to protect the Bible. We don't have to protect God. We just need to do the one thing that God actually asks us to do, which is love. And, and if we love, then there will be truth. And if we love, then the world will know who we are. And if we love, then the world will know that God sent Jesus. And if we love, like it really, really seems to be about love. And, and John will keep pushing for this idea that if you are not loving, then whatever you have, no matter how right, no matter how correct it is, if you do not have love, then what you have is not true. Uh, Paul would say it a different way. Paul would say, um, if you have everything correct and true and right but have not love, you are nothing more than a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. You have to have love. The way we can show the world an accurate, true picture of what God looks like is to love. We can have all the theology and doctrine imaginable, truth stacked up in books, Brent Billings, but if we don't have love, John says, it's a lie. This might sound a lot like Paul claiming to have all knowledge, but not love, and feeling like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Whoever claims to be in him must walk as Jesus walked, and above all else, Jesus loved. May we strive to do the same. Love. Brent, it's what's true. Short and sweet episode. Yep. Pretty pretty simple, just love. I think we're going to have a, a few episodes here that are going to be nice and short and sweet, and it'll give us some time to reflect. And quite frankly, this is a topic where I'm like, yeah, take the extra 20 minutes and um, just read through First John. Read, you know, whatever. Like, spend some more time maybe in the Word, less time listening to Brent and Marty. Take the opportunity to spend some more time going, okay, create some space. Session one reference. Create some space and say, okay, God, what is it? Let me wrestle with this. Find the things about what Marty said that makes you uncomfortable. Wrestle with those things. Maybe Marty's wrong. That's okay. But wrestle with those ideas and say, what is it that God's trying to push me into, teach me, make me uncomfortable with? How would, how would Avram interact with this idea? How would, how would Joseph interact with this idea? How would, how would David interact with this idea? How would some of the prophets interact with these ideas? Just think through, wrestle with where we've seen this all throughout the story up to, up to this point. And, and this letter, as with many, uh, many episodes we're covering, is not a verse-by-verse study. So to uh, spend some time and read through the entire letter... Like, Make sure we haven't left anything out. What a, what a great use of your time. Absolutely. We're all about the text here. All right. Well, if you have any questions, you can go to BaymontDiscipleship.com. You can get in touch with us through their uh, contact page. Hopefully uh, you're in a discussion group. You can talk about this with some other people. Otherwise, you can join our Slack. Uh, talk to some people there. Get on the Facebook page. Lots of ways to discuss this and wrestle this together. So we encourage you to do that. Thanks for joining us on the Baymont Podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.
Did I read that correctly? Let's see here. Whoever does, whoever does not, it's kind of tricky, isn't this? Oh. This is why Brent reads through the Bible. For all this. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 